surprise. Many of you came here thinking, well, I'm going to hear a great sermon from Pastor Jamie today. And, and uh, I hate to disappoint you, but no, uh, Pastor Jamie uh, is, is sick. Uh, he came down with what I had earlier in the week that somebody gave me last Sunday. God bless your little heart. And... Uh, <laughs> It was, uh, it, it's a sort of a stomach thing, and uh, my gracious, I, uh, I don't wish it on anyone, and we certainly wish Pastor Jamie and uh, his family, maybe even Jessica has it, pa both parents having it, and the kids will soon have it. We want to certainly remember them in our prayers today. In fact, everybody, he's looking today, I guarantee you, he's watching us online. He's going to correct everything I make a mistake with, and, uh, but uh, he's going to let me know. But anyway, everybody just say, Get well, Jamie. Get well, Jamie. Yeah, he heard that, and he'll text me. I'll fill my, the phone. I'll hear it buzz off here in a little bit. We're going to be in John 15 today. John 15. I ask you to turn in your copy of God's Word to John 15. If you have your Bibles uh, with you today, uh, I would encourage you as you turn there, once you find it, actually keep your Bibles open to that location. I always like, as I'm preaching, to to uh, refer back to the text consistently, and I, I trust that you will do that. And whether it's your phone, I have to get used to that. I'm not used to, to people actually looking up their text on the phone or a tablet or anything of that nature. Whatever it is that you have that you could ask, access John 15 today, I would certainly encourage you to do that. Jamie, uh, last week, if you were here, he called a audible. Right at the end of the service, Jr. was leading the music last week, and, and the, the time came for Jr. to come up, and he got his guitar on, and he was, he was almost at mid-strum when, when Jamie said, I'm not going to do a song at the end. I'm going to call an audible. He actually said that, and all of us went, what? You know, that's so unusual. And what he did, if you remember... He asked us all, invited us all to stand up, posture ourselves before God, and verbally commit to living out that 5% life, that God time, that gather time, that, that group time, and that go time, and, and in essence, make that commitment. Today, using John 15, which is our theme verses for the year, we're going to look at the details of that particular commitment. I've entitled this sermon, The Benefits of a 5% Life, or, and because I'm an attorney, I may entitle it The 5% fine print. That's, that's, I like that a little bit better. Attorneys immediately sort of understand what fine print is, that boilerplate. Some of y'all don't because you've never read the fine print. We, we attorneys, we live in the fine print. That's where judgments are born. You know, that's where, that's where cases are born. We love it. Scripturally speaking, we move to and fro within the fine print. And then that's where we're going to find in any contract, in the obligations, responsibilities, uh, compensation, any details, you can name that contract. We'll give you the right to name the contract, but let us deal with the fine prints. Today, we're going to look at the fine print, if you will, the details of that 5% life. We're going to look at the benefits that we can claim or at least expect in 2023 from living out the 5% life. If you committed last week, what can you look forward to this year from that commitment again to the 5% life? As you've already done so, I invite you to turn or at least look with me at this point in John chapter 15, beginning in our theme verses for the year, verse 5. It reads as this, I am the vine... 
Let me adjust my eyeballs here. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them in the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading and now the proclamation of his word. Father, we come now to the time of worship where it is just that. We, we proclaim your word and, and by doing so, we hope that it is an act of worship. We, we hear your word, we receive your word, we understand your word. Now it's, it's our time to respond, and that response is our, our worship to you. Father, give me clarity of words. Give us all clarity of understanding by your spirit, enlightening this text before us, giving us meaning to it, Father, that you and your spirit may draw us to to the point where we need to make that, that crisis decision point that perhaps we need to make that will draw us closer to you, Father, that would allow us to lean into you a little bit more, Father, that will allow us to certainly see in this year those benefits of that 5% life commitment. Father, I pray that your spirit would move to and fro throughout this time together and in, in and out each seat, speak in the individual way that is most needed for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I got three Baptist points. Someone said, well, what's your sermon about? It's always with me, three Baptist points. The benefits of, of a 5% life. First of all, you can have a productive life. You can have a productive life. In fact, it's very clear as you look down in verse 5. He says, those that remain in me will produce much fruit. We have to sort of break that down a little bit, what remain means. It means dwell. It means stay. It means... Uh, uh, don't leave other words. I like the idea of dwelling. I use that word uh, often when I'm reading this particular passage of Scripture. He that dwells in me. Someone who is a dweller is someone who can leave but does not go. That college student who has graduated that now has back in your house, he is no longer your little baby. He is a dweller. He can, he can leave or she can leave, but they don't. They are now dwelling at home. Uh, you, you understand what that is. But look at what the scripture and how it sort of defines it for us. He that dwells or he that remains, and look at that little tiny word because it is so pivotally important. It is so meaningful. It's the word in within the text. He that dwells in me or remains in me. That word in signifies something deeper than simply a presence with Christ. It's not he that sort of hangs out in my presence. He that sort of 
gives me an occasional visit. He, however, that remains in me. That end denotes a union between us and Christ. It denotes a union that takes place when we as, as humans, he, we as creatures, decide and finally discover and come to the reality that we have this depraved life. We are lost within our sins. We need a Savior. We need something to take care of the sinfulness that is within us. And in fact, if we don't find something, if we don't have some way of dealing with the ugly immorality, sinful, depraved self that we are, if we face a holy God, then we're going to be in trouble. And so it's at that moment when we come to that realization that, yes, I have this problem, and the problem can be met with Christ that that union is created. There's a union, a switch that takes place. When we come to Christ in faith, our bad unrighteousness, and maybe that's redundant, and it is, our unrighteousness is transferred or imputed over to Christ, and his righteousness and acts that he committed under righteousness are imputed unto us. It's almost a compound joint union. It's such that whatever took place and is true of Christ, now as his followers, connected, united, unioned, harmonized with him, all of a sudden, whatever happened to him can be said it's happened to us. And thankful, and thank God for that. Because God the Father looks down after we give our life to Christ, after his death is appropriated and imputed to us on our behalf, then Christ looks down on us and does not see old depraved van, but looks down on us and sees righteous van. Not because it's my own righteousness, but Christ who lives within me. It's this type of, of idea that, that Paul was speaking about. He says, for the sake, and this is over in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He says, for our sake, and he points to God the Father. You can almost see him thinking of God the Father. He made Christ the Son to be sin for us who knew no sin. He made Christ, his son, sin. And Christ didn't have any concept of sin. He was impeccable at that particular time, knew no wrong. No unrighteousness. God who, who made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, when we come to the foot of the cross, that, that transfer takes place. That, that, joint, that, that, that compound joint takes place. We come in harmony and connection with Christ. And quite frankly, everything that we have of unrighteousness, we pour over into Christ. And he pays the judgment and the death that we should have paid, deserve to pay for our sinfulness within us. And instead, him paying it, we earn, quite frankly, his righteousness back on us. Paul says later, listen, I'm living this life that, that at one time I was horrible, but I came to the foot of the cross. I gave my unrighteousness to Christ, my, my fleshly desires, my fleshly life. I gave that to Christ. He gave me now righteousness. I live by faith. It's not I. Listen, I've been crucified with Christ, as Paul would over say over in Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, but it's not I that live now. It's Christ that lives within me. We sort of say the same thing. We do say the same thing when we baptize somebody. You understand that concept. Baptism is, a, in essence today, a symbolism of what is taking place within your life. In your life, when you come to Christ, you are buried with him in baptism, raised with him to walk in newness of life. 
So now it's, it's, we're living a life, but it's not us, it's Christ who is living in us. So when it comes down in verse 5 and says, he that remains in me, we could say that he that is joined with me, he that is harmonized with me, he is the one that produces much fruit. In other words, the understanding is, it's not us. It's Christ within us that produces the fruit. It's his enablement. It's his power. It's his provision. In fact, if you look down, he sort of hints at it again in verse 7. He says, he that remains in me and my words remain in him, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. In other words, if our hearts are so harmonized, unioned, uh, communed together with Christ, then if we ask of anything, then our desire is in keeping with what his desire would be. His desires are our desires. His goals are our goals. His spiritual destination and, and hopes are what ours should be, what, what mine should be. And in essence, when we ask in anything in furtherance of those goals and in furtherance of that destination, he's free to give that. He's, he, he'll, he'll gladly give that to us. It's God's power within us that is working to change us. And and, and he says, in essence, much fruit back in verse 5. He says, he that remains in me, dwells in me, stays in me, that connection, keeping it strong through me, much fruit can be produced. Now, obviously, two different types of fruit, at least that I see within Scripture. One is, is converse converts. You know, we, we produce fruits like ourselves. We're believers. We want to produce new believers. But there's also fruits of the Spirit as well. Uh, here's the idea. There ought to be a change within your life. When you come to Christ, there needs to be a change where you're heading in one direction, and in faith on Christ, you head this direction, asking God, God, give me the strength that I don't get to the point where I start to turn back, or I need strength to continue to be and become Christ-like in many ways. The problem is that we, we jump in and, and we want to butt in, don't we? Because we, we get to the point sometimes when we decide that we know better. Yeah, we, we know how to, to orchestrate our lives. We know how to, um, we know how things ought to be. You know, Jesus, let me sort of handle this. Maybe we become a little bit, you know, in my terminology, big-headed, you know, prideful. Let me handle this, Lord. Just sort of step aside. Come down, Lord, off the lordship position in my life and let me assume it for a while. Even within the church, can you believe that? Even within the church, we have a tendency sometimes, even within the church, to take Jesus and sort of step him in the background. And, and, and even if it's good things, and we sort of you know, give that excuse, well, listen, we're just trying to do good things for the church and the ministry. But, but sometimes in doing that, we say, God... Let us sort of make the church plans and the ideas and, and let, us, let us take the lead at this particular point. There used to be a game I played with the youth. Gosh, it's been 20 years ago. I started working this week with the youth in our church. And I, uh, uh, I, I one, it reminded me why I left the youth a years ago. <laughs> yeah. But also it made me, it just has created this flood of memories of games and things that I did with youth groups 20, 25 years ago. And one of the games that I played 
we would go into the fellowship hall, this big room, and, and we would create a, a start line and a finish line over here. And we would divide the youth into two teams, uh, uh, two-person teams, and we would line them up over here at the start line, of course. And we would say, okay, one person is going to have to walk in from the start line to the, the finish line with all of the chairs in the room in like a maze, you know, not like this, but just scrambled all up and stuff like that. And the point was, and here's the trick, because you're thinking, well, what's hard about that? The trick was the one traversing the pathway was blindfolded. And, and the one, their partner, was the one that could give the directions. They, they weren't allowed to feel. They had to hold their hands in the back or maybe something like that. And, but they were blindfolded, and they had to... Tr- travel, journey the pathway start to finish by listening to the instructions of their partner back over here. Of course, you got 20 youth screaming and hollering. That's, that's the fun part, you know? And you say, go! And those kids are going and they run into the chair or they fall over and so forth because the kids are screaming and they're hollering and they're, they're, uh, they're just not very clear. Over the course of time, though, I noticed that the children teams, teenagers, excuse me, the kids teams that won, were the ones where the person who was in the blind became so in tune to the voice of their leader that they understood what they meant when they say, two steps to the right. They understood. They were able to cut out the noise and the confusion and and the the disruption of everything else in the room. And they were able to get from the start line over to the finish line successfully because they understood the voice of the one leading them. We as a church, and indeed we as individuals, sort of find ourselves here at the beginning of, of uh, year 2023, and we're sort of like this. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We're, we're just walking in the dark. We're, we're heading in this direction, and everything is fine, and then all of a sudden, we stumble into an obstacle in life. we obstacle in church, perhaps. There's going to be obstacles this year. There may be an obstacle. I know there's one. There's an obstacle. Well, what's going to happen with our church building? You know, what's going to happen with, with the different ministries that we need to commit to? Or what's going to happen with the children's ministry? How is that going to be developed and planned out this summer? We're sort of walking like this. We know those obstacles are coming. How do we get by them successfully? Is when we are in tuned to the voice of our leader. Now, the 5% life sort of helps to solve that. Remember that God time? When Jamie says we need to commit to that 1% increase in God time and even group time, that's how you get there. That's how you walk through this journey and you hear God communicate his will, his purpose to your life, to our church as a whole corporately. This is how we handle and this is how we adjust ourselves and get past those particular obstacles. Well, not only if you commit to that 5% life, you'll have a productive life, but I want to share with you that you're also going to have a loving life, a loving life. If you look down and and sort of track with me, particularly in verses 9 through 10, it says that the Father has loved me, Jesus says, and I also love you. Or as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. 
Now, God starts off and sort of references for the disciples this, this perfect love between the Father and himself. There's nothing lacking within that type of love. If, if we had to have a poster child of, for love, it would be the Father and, and the Son. That, that example of love is, is the one that we strive for, unconditional. It's, it's perfect in every way. It's always lifting and bolstering the other one up indeed. It's the perfect love. God says, and Jesus says, remain in this type of love. The Greek here, the wording is, it's, it's actually termed in the love that which is mine. Now, we sort of have encapsulated that into one word. That's Christ-like. What Jesus, in essence, is saying is, listen, remain in my love. Remain and operate and live within that Christ-like love zone. We sang a song earlier of, of the love of God being our foundation, the love that we pour out to God, and the love, in essence, that we pour out to others as well. And that's, in essence, what he's saying to us in verses 9 and 10. He's saying, I, I want you to get up every day and live within that Christ-like love zone. Keep my commandments. And if you do so, you're in that zone. You're, you're remaining in my love that is for you. And in fact, that's great because that sort of gives us the instructions. Keeping the commandments of God. Keeping his commandments all together. And so that we understand precisely that, that this is the type of order that we don't necessarily have to keep. But we are encouraged to keep because of our love for him. Let me that sort of butcher that up. But let me make sure I let me give it to you in a story. Man, I love communicating through stories and parables. Um, I see this a lot. Husbands, on that Saturday night that the the college football games are on. I mean, you you got the 50-inch TV at home, and and the 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 snacks are ready. For me, the Pepsi Zero is there, and, and, uh, and things are just exciting. It's going to be a great night. Then your wife says, go with me shopping for dresses tonight. <laughs> and you go, ugh. And, and, and you end up going there, and you go to the mall, and you're sitting in that one chair by the fitting room. There's always that one chair for the husband to sit there. You know? And there are other husbands that walk by, and they, you catch eyes with, with one another, and like, yeah, yeah, I'm here too. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that, that husband, he doesn't have to be there, but he wants to be there because of his love for his wife. See, when Christ gets up, or when we get up each morning, we have the opportunity to say, Lord, I, you know, I don't have to live for you today. I mean, that's our option. We have a free will in that regard. But in essence, we choose to act in a zone of Christ-like love, lifting others up, focusing on God, allowing our focus not to be on self, but on His purpose, His things. Why? Not because, again, we have to, but because we want to, because we love him. In 2023, Jamie rattled off some opportunities for this year to come, some mission opportunities. Remember that last little element is the go time. He's encouraged us to raise our go time uh, 2% this year. And he, he labeled it off. We're going to consistently say this to you time and time again. That 2% go time is really just 
seven days of the 365 days of this year. And part of that, those seven days, may be filled in local ministry. It could be filled, quite frankly, in some of the go experiences that they have planned for us this year. One was an in-state mission trip down to Norfolk, Pillar Church in Norfolk, and, and uh, prayer walking, evangelization there within the community and city of Norfolk. Another opportunity would be going to Greenland and, and seeing and being with Jamie. I think he's the, the, the lead on that particular trip. Going in May or, or, April, or April, it's coming up very quick. And then there's other opportunities in the fall, going to Manchester in England. Here's the challenge, that maybe Christ would have somebody here go or even participate within some of the other opportunities within our church. And he's whispering to that in our response Sometimes, uh, you know, I don't really want to. You don't have to, you, don't, you know. But I want you to answer the question, Lord, and maybe today commit to saying this, Lord, because I love you, I will consider it and I will weigh it out sincerely and, and give my answer. I'm not saying you have to. I'm not asking for a commitment all of us head to Manchester this, this uh, fall. I'm just asking you today and challenging all of us today that maybe out of the love and based upon the love that we have for Christ, give it due consideration as to do with all of the ministries in which we have within our particular church. Well, not only will, if in being this 5% life, will we have a productive life, a loving life, but indeed a joyful life. Notice down in verse 11. Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Really the same phrase is used there. I, I hope, he says, I want you to, to live in the joy that which is mine. If we could, again, put it in the English understanding, it would be Christ-like joy. Christ-like joy. He says, I want that type of joy to be within you. And what type is that? If, if we have any indication what type of joy that is, by simply the narrative before us in John 15, we have to understand it at least this way. That it's not necessarily a jump up and down, it's static all the time, because that's not the case. In fact, in this particular narrative, Jesus, quite frankly, is I don't sense him being very happy. He is hours away from the cross, and he knows it. He's hours away from his death, and he knows it. And in fact, what he's saying is, and, and still talking about joy, there is within me a joy or an in, inward calm, a cheerfulness that doesn't express itself by giving high fives and jumping around. And there may be times for that, and I encourage that if it's the appropriate time, but always and consistently, hopefully, there is within us a time and a cheerfulness that is so in down deep that it allows us to survive times of difficulty and times of trouble. One of the pictures that I have of my mind, and I love pictures. I love, I don't know if you catch this, uh, I love to preach using pictures. I, I love to be able and hopefully encourage you within your mind's eye to capture the picture that I see, and hopefully we use those pictures to come back to a biblical truth. One of the pictures that I have in my mind and will until the day that I pass from this earth is of my, uh, my mammy. Now, in North Carolina, we, I didn't have a grandma. I didn't have a, a, uh, I didn't have a, a grand, uh, grandma or a granny. I had a mammy. And mammy was five foot nothing. She wore a house coat all the time. If you walked in her house, she had on this house coat. She was like the superhero of 
of cooking. It, I mean, she could just do it like that. You want some fried chicken? I'll get you fried chicken. Like ten, it's like 10 minutes. I don't know how she got it. Like 10 minutes or, or apple pie or, or, or butter beans with all the ham hock in it. I ate yesterday with some of the men of the church, and, and uh, I ordered a bowl of grease with, with some bacon grease poured in it. And they said, wow, man, they, he understands. And that's true. That's where I get it from, my mammy. She cooked with grease and bacon grease, and, and uh, now she had cardiologists too, but, and, uh, <laughs> but, but that was her, and I have one as well. But it, it's, you know, it's good to eat that way. My, uh, my grandmother, um, I remember the day my, my aunt uh, passed away. Uh, she passed away early from cancer, and we all gathered at my, my mammy's house, I should say. And uh, uh, as any good uh, situation like that, we all had tons of food on the table. And it came time for dinner, and my, my mammy was sitting in, and this is the picture I have, looking over her, sh- her shoulder and looking at, at her reading her Bible. Again, dinner time. And I, being about a 10-year-old kid, late 70s, I ran up to her, walked over to her, Mammy, it's time for food, time to eat, Mammy. No response. None. Well, I knew she you know, was hard of hearing at that particular time in her life, and so I said again, Mammy, it's time for food, or it's time for dinner. Come get dinner, Mammy. You know, I, I knew we were not going to be able to eat until she got to the table. Mammy, it's time. No response. All I can do, even in my mind today, looking over her shoulder, looking at her with that, that blue dress on, that, that, that inexpensive chain of white pearls and her glasses real thick, reading that Bible, looking and, and, and focusing in on the Word. And I even touched her maybe on her arm, I think. And I probably would have stayed there and kept bothering her and maybe even began to shake her a little bit no response, and I think it was either my mother or somebody realized what was taking place, and they came over and grabbed me by the collar and yanked me away. But here's the point. My, my mammy was so in tuned. She was so focused, so at peace, so leaning into God at that particular time of trouble that I, nothing that a 10-year-old boy could do could shake her out of it. She wasn't going to turn around and give me attention. As much as she loved me and, and, and wanted the best for me, right then, personally, she needed to pour in and get what was in this book poured back into her. That's the type of joy that God offers the Christian. And that's the type of joy that I hope all of us will experience this year. Now, believe me, I'm not asking for some tragedy to happen within our lives. But chances are, something challenging may happen this year in our life. Something as an obstacle that we're not sure how to handle and how to get by will occur within your life and maybe even within the life of this church. And God is saying, I want you to be in tune to my voice in order to learn how to get beyond. I want you to be able to listen to how I guide you beyond that. Listen, you can't get to a spiritual destination reading a human map. You've got to use this as the light for your path. 
You've got to use this and understand, Lord, how do you want us to get from over there to over here? Not by our way, but by your way. And in doing so, we'll go in love and we'll go with joy, facing the obstacles as we go. Now, today as a Christian, you maybe were one of the ones who stood up last week and you made that commitment, as did I. And this Sunday, you want to say, Lord... That commitment that I made, I am just pouring more understanding into it. I am pouring more, <coughs> more, more awareness of what it means for me to make that commitment and to rise and to live for you this year. Now, if you're not a Christian today, maybe you're saying to yourself, you know what, this is sort of a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit not quite fully understanding that. The opportunity to, to have that union with Christ is yours today. To be able to pour over to Christ all of your unrighteousness to, as we say, impute your unrighteousness to him and allow his righteousness to be imputed back to you. That's yours today as well. After the service here, I'll have the opportunity, as will Brother Brandon and others within our church, some of the other pastors. We will be more than happy to speak to you as to making that particular transformation, that change, that step of faith back into the living God. May these be thoughts that you dwell on this week. May these be thoughts that draw you closer to our Lord this week. Let us pray.